Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. And remember to keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You'll find us wherever you get yours at. We're on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. While at the 2019 Sundance Film Festival, I attended the screening of Loyalty Stories, Muslims in the Military, which was followed by a panel discussion, which you're about to hear. Now, the panel included filmmaker and producer David Washburn, along with producer Razi Jaffrey and current United States Air Force Muslim chaplain Rafael Antigua and former Army military police officer Dr. Aisha Lamin. The panel was moderated by Saudi Akosa of the Muslim Public Affairs Council. We welcome your feedback. You can email us at producer at Radio Islam USA, tweet us at Radio Islam USA, or post on our Facebook page. Enjoy. Who here knows someone who served in the military? <laughs> Everyone. Good. Okay, I asked this question because about a year ago I was in a room with David Washburn and he asked the same question and I didn't raise my hand. I had forgotten because my family forgot to tell a story. We, we stopped telling stories of our own service in the military. The first person from my family who immigrated from Pakistan served in the military as soon as I got here. It's a story we haven't been telling and today we're here to honor those stories and honor those individuals. I am so honored to be sitting up here with all of you. So I'm going to introduce our panel, and we'll go straight into the Q&A. So to my right is Captain Rafael Lantigua, who you saw in the movie. <laughs> Rafael is a chaplain in the United States Air Force and is currently assigned to the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He has served 24 years of military service with deployments to Kuwait, Afghanistan, and Iraq. He has a master's degree in Islamic studies and Christian-Muslim relations, and a graduate certificate in the Islamic chaplaincy from the Hartford, Sem um, Sem Hartford Seminary in Connecticut. His father, Rafael Sr., served for over 20 years in the Army, and two of his siblings served in the Army, as well as his daughter. Wow. His permanent home is in, a great home of, uh, in the great state of Texas. Next to Rafael is Aisha Al-Amin, a fellow Chicagoan. Aisha is a second-generation um, second Muslim and U.S. Army veteran. As a Chicago native from a blighted community, she joined, she joined the Army at 18 years old, not having interacted with many folks who do not look just like her. But served, Aisha served five years on active duty. She went back to Chicago. She earned her PhD. And now she is an associate provost at the University of Illinois at Chicago, one of the state's largest and most important public universities. David Washburn is the creator and director of Loyalty Stories. He has collaborated with the American Muslim storytelling community for over a decade. His documentary film work has been honored by the Council on American Islamic Relations, the Islamic Scholarship Fund, the Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art, and the Muslim Public Affairs Council. We recently awarded David with a Changemaker Award in 2018. He's still not Muslim, despite having been adopted by many Muslim families around the country. <laughs> David is currently in co-production with Cartemquin Films on the new feature film documentary, Loyalty. He is from Oakland, California. <laughs> Razi Jaffrey is a documentary filmmaker and photographer from Detroit, Michigan. 
He examines American culture through the stories of religion, politics, and immigration. Razi is a producer along with David on Kartemkin's forthcoming film, Loyalty, and he's also the director and producer of Hamtramck, USA, a feature documentary about the diverse political landscape in a Detroit suburb and how Muslims are impacting America's political future. The film received support from the Center for American Center for Asian American Media and is slated to premiere on national public television in 2020. So fun fact, while this has been Sue's fourth or fifth time at Sundance, everyone on this panel is here for the very first time. Welcome everyone. Yes, thank you. So Rafael, I'd like to start with you. The clip we saw showed your work as a chaplain today, but it doesn't tell us about your background story. You, joined, you became a Muslim at age 17, and the next week you joined the army. Tell, Air Force, yes. Tell us why you made that decision and a bit about your time as an enlisted airman and why you ultimately chose to become a chaplain. Well, so, because I, I grew up in the army, my father had joined the army uh, as uh, 18, 19 years old, uh, out of New York, uh, got stationed at Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina, I uh, met my mother, who's African-American. So my father's from La Republica Dominicana, so I'm uh, Afro-Latino or Black, Hispanic. There's different names now, but. Uh, and so, but he, just, just observing his experiences and his dedication to his uh, profession, uh, being in the Army, being enlisted in the Army, I made this, uh, the same decision at the age of 17 that I wanted to, uh, to serve my country in, the, in a very similar uh, way. Um, I would say primarily one of the key issues that I that was attractive to me was the pluralism and diversity that's represented in the military, not only ethnically but religiously, uh, you know, gender. Uh, I mean, all kinds of borders are are being broken down, walls are being torn down by way of the military. And so when you live that kind of experience and that becomes your reality, uh, you want to continue that legacy, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I, after serving. 14 years enlisted with the Air Force. I decided uh, I wanted to be an Army officer. After my three deployments in Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan, uh, I saw what was taking place on the ground, uh, and I could see how I could be uh, useful for building bridges of mutual respect and understanding across, uh, at that time, and even currently, uh, cultural and religious and ethnic divides. Um, and so uh, after doing that for six years in the Army, I decided to, and becoming a chaplain in the Army, I decided to then become an Air Force chaplain. And that's what I've been doing for the past five years. So. And as a chaplain, you serve, you, your job is to really service all members of the military, including Muslims. They come to you for counseling, they share their problems. Now, without getting into confidential stories, uh, what would you say are some of the distinctive challenges that Muslims confront in the military today? And how do you think that those challenges differ from civilian life? So, you know, one of the unique things about a military chaplain in contrast to a chaplain that serves uh, at a different type of institution such as a hospital or the prison uh, or the university, a military chaplain uh, is the only individual in society that is given the authority and, has the, and is obligated to keep anything that's said in confidentiality. It has to be remain within that conversation between that individual who's speaking to the chaplain and the chaplain. So, for example, if someone comes and says, hey, chaplain, um, I have some very dark thoughts and feelings, and I'm making plans to, or have the intent to cause harm, 
I, as a chaplain, am not authorized to disclose that to anyone, regardless of, of who they may be. I'm required to keep my mouth shut. But I am expected, hopefully, to be able to navigate those waters and influence that individual to turn themselves in or get go to other helping agencies and so on and so forth. So when it comes to Muslims in particular in the military and the and the the challenges that are faced, it's it's unique from one individual to another. Just as diverse as Muslims are in the world, that says those are the different problems that come to my to my door. Um, I think. And from my own experience, it depends on where you're stationed, who's in your chain of command, who are the people that are around you, what are their particular biases and prejudices that they bring to the table that you have to navigate through. And again, going to your chain of command and going to helping agencies because there's zero tolerance in the military. Absolutely no tolerance when it comes to prejudice and discrimination and things of that nature. So, but you cannot, you gotta make space for individuals who come into the military, they're bringing their luggage, they're bringing their baggage with them, all right? And so you have to give them time to acclimate and have a clear understanding that whatever issues you're bringing to the table, when you put on that uniform and you raise your right hand and you give that oath that you're gonna support and defend the Constitution of the United States, you have got to understand that all that mess you have to keep that at the door. You're not bringing that mess up in here. And if you do, it will be handled accordingly. <laughs> now do some push-ups. <laughs> you have to ensure that everyone follows the U.S. Constitution and that everyone has the rights of religious freedom. Mm. As a Muslim, I feel like we're living in a time where these very rights that you're, you've been entrusted to ensure have been taken for granted and they feel threatened in a very real way. Um, how has this impacted your work in the military as a person of faith? You know, there, there have been, I would say in the past, I would say since the Fort Hood shooting, I think everybody remembers when Fort Hood, the, the, the massacre that happened in 2009, uh, in November of 2009. Since then, uh, you know, the question of Muslims being in the military, uh, whether or not it's a national security risk, this question consistently comes up. Um, because there have been other issues that have been that have occurred since. So my job, one of one of the aspects of my job is to advise commanders, advise leadership, civilian and military. And part of that is to remind them that what is it that our Constitution says. I think often people, when they think about the Constitution, and you ask them the question, what is the First Amendment? What is the first right in the First Amendment? And most people say freedom of speech. That is incorrect. It is freedom of religion. The founding fathers made sure that religion was the first issue that was brought to the table. And that's what they debated about and ensured and enshrined, especially when it comes to Thomas Jefferson, for example, when he was the governor of Virginia. That's a whole other issue. But again, just, just bringing to the forefront that religion is very important when it comes to the American experience. And I, as a chaplain, cannot allow anyone to forget that, whether they're Muslim, non-Muslim, of faith or not of faith. Whether you're, an, if, if you're a person who's an atheist, I'm there to remind you, regardless of, of your perspective and your position and your beliefs or non-beliefs, we have got to come together and understand that everyone who chooses to believe and practice has a right to do so. And anyone that tries to say or do otherwise, I'm there to defend it accordingly. Thank you. Aisha, we're gonna move on to you. Um, can you so you're not a participant in the film, and we don't see you in the film. 
but I know that you've partnered with David to share your story. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Absolutely. First of all, peace and blessings. How are you guys doing? Um, so, um, I, like many, um, I would say, people of color from the hood, right? I joined the military not to run to, but to want to run away, right? And so I was coming out of a, a home, uh, what we would call dysfunctional now, right? Um, in, 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 our, in our mature terms. Um, so I, I moved out when I was in a junior in high school. And um, by the time I finished high school, I really needed to go somewhere. Um, and this was the only space that I could find that I could get clothing and food and someone was gonna help me out, right? And so I ran to the military for those reasons. When I got to the military, I literally, there was a culture shock, right? When you talk about get acclimated. I called my mom, whispering so nobody would hear me. And I said, I see white people, <laughs> right? Like, I am, like, let me contextualize this for you, right? Like, I am from the south side of Chicago, and if you know anything about most, most places USA, it's segregated, right? And so I saw white people when I went downtown every now and again, right? But that wasn't, I didn't have those interactions. So I literally, I felt inferior. I did not know how to talk to them. Yet I was now situated in a space where I had to live with them. I had to shower with them. And I had to go to our pretend war training with them, right? So this was freaking me out a little bit, right? Um, and so my mom was like, so what? What you tripping for? And I'm like, mom, for real. <laughs> We're doing this, right? And she said, just be you. And so because I don't know how to be anyone else, that's who I was. And what that space taught me, um, both there in my first duty station, my uh, all of the duty stations to follow, is that this world is so much bigger than the hood that I grew up in, right? That it is so much more expansive than what I had engaged in, and that I'm not inferior, right? And so it was those interactions that gave me a broader perspective of the world. Um, I spent four of my years over in the Netherlands and traveled all over Europe. I was a, so, so here's, here's the funny part when I, when I came in, right? So um, I went, so I was working at Blockbuster Video. I know I'm dating myself. <laughs> 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 right, like, yeah, I know, yeah, So uh, Blockbuster Video was right here and the Army Recruiting Station was right next door, right? It was like this strip mall. I was supposed to be going to work. I got my yellow shirt on and like I'm got my name, fixed my name tag. And I was like, yeah, nah, I'm not going in there. I'm going in here today, right? So I went into the, the recruiting uh, station. I said, give me the first thing smoking out of here before I change my mind. So I was his dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he like, so he, he got me in a car. We went to someplace, right? And he, they started weighing me and like measuring me and, and talking in alphabet, you know, they're like, yeah, so your you're MOS, do you have a, I'm like, okay, whatever, just just keep going, like, yes, whatever, do I just say yes to this, right? And so MOS is military occupational specialty, right? It means job, basically. And so they say, you're gonna be a 95 Bravo, and I'm like, okay, how, when do I leave, when do I leave, right? Um, and so I didn't know what he was saying, I just signed everything, and my recruiter picked me up, and he said, so what's your MOS? I said, would you all stop talking in alphabet? Like, I don't know what you're saying. He said, your job, let me just see your paper. He said, oh, you're gonna be a military police? I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, and my reality as a black woman growing up in the hood is not one where I wanna become a police officer, right? <laughs> That's who I run from the hate, right? So 
I am now not only in a, in a world that I don't understand, but I am um, now adopting an identity that I have hated. And so um, this, this uh, space became a space of identity growth for me. Now, I am a young black woman. I'm, I'm 18. I'm fresh out of high school. I've been, um, I've been challenged with many things, um, much of which wasn't a supportive family. And now I have to figure out this thing on my own. And so what I found is that my family became my military folk, right? It became those same people that I could not talk to because I was too afraid of at first. It was the Christians, the white folks, the Latinos, any and everyone. And there, the beauty of it all was I could uh, recall one specific situation. We were over, um, I was in the Netherlands station and they did the 12 days of Christmas. And they called me and said, yeah, we're doing 12 days of Christmas. And we're going to say it's the 12 days of Christmas and for Muslims. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that works. You know, like, so it was again, when we talk about inclusion and trying to make a space, it was like, you know, we want to, you are, you are people. We're not trying to leave you out in any way. And of course, I didn't drink and it was margarita. They were like, yo, before you put the margarita, get the virgin was done first. Get the virgin, put the virgin with the virgin, right? So it was all, all of this, you know, how I'm, um, in our spaces now, we, we try to make sure that we're inclusive because it looks good on paper, right? It looks good because we say, oh, you know, we made sure we have a diverse. No, this was because we love her and that's our, our, that's our girl. We're going to look out for her because that's what we do for each other, right? And so that's kind of my engagement um, with, the, with, with the military. That's a very different feeling, too, I think, what you alluded to. Um, so when I was reading your bio, you said you're, you're second-generation American Muslim. Yes. But oftentimes, when we see Muslims depicted in TV and film, they tend to look more like me or Razi, um, you know, children of immigrants. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, how you challenge those assumptions that folks make when they see you and when they see folks like you who are in the military, um, you know, a proud African-American Muslim woman in the south side of Chicago. How do you do that? So it's very interesting because, you know, I got mad love for you all, right? Um, but it is a challenge, right? It is a challenge because I think not um, seeing the diverse space of Muslims and identities of Muslims, it allows a certain narrative to be promoted. Get out of here, you terrorists. You're a foreigner. You, you're probably not gonna look at me and say, get out of here, you foreigner, right? Like, so by not depicting folks that look like me in, in, the, in the broader context, when we talk about Muslims, allows a certain narrative to, to, to continue to be uh, flourished, right? And so what, what I do when I come into spaces, I am just me, I am unapologetically me. I am way too old and way too situated to be anybody else. Right, and so it, it, this is who I am. And I, I, you may see me flip my scarf like this, you may see me cover it like this. I'm going to be me, and I'm gonna allow you to, to figure out how to engage me, just like I figure out how to engage other folks. And if you have questions, I'm right here. Hey, you don't have to guess about it. And I'm not mad at you for asking it. So I, I think part of what, what, what I've done and, and this is a this is a growth on, on my part, right? Because I used to be like, man, go read a book. What I look like, right? <laughs> That's not me, right? But I also know because I've been afforded so many opportunities, and now I'm in spaces where I don't have anybody again that looks like me, right, or that believes like me. 
But when an issue about Muslim students comes up or black students, it's like, what, what do you think? What are you, what is, what's the answer, right? And I get that. And I have to make sure that, that we, um, we as, as leaders and as folks that are really trying to solve problems authentically, that we don't stereotypicalize and generalize and essentialize folks. Um, but that I, I give one perspective. That's the only perspective that I can give. And I make sure that I validate that there are other perspectives out there who are also black and Muslim, who are also Arab, who are also, right? All of these perspectives are valid. And so I'm going to offer you one. And I'm not going to let you essentialize and generalize them amongst us all. Can I? Yeah, please. So it's interesting, as it said in the, in, the, in, the, in the clip, that there are 14 Muslim chaplains on active duty. And out of the 14, I'm the only one that doesn't have an Arab or Muslim name. And so when I went walk into the room and, and people know that there's a Muslim, a Muslim chaplain that's coming to some event or function, and I walk in the room and they see Lantigua, and I introduce myself, oh, I'm chaplain Rafael Lantigua, and they're like, what? I thought, I thought you said the Muslim chaplain was coming. <laughs> You know, and then some of the, the Jewish troops are, are like, well, Rafael, so you have a Hebrew name, you have a Spanish last name, your, father, your mother's African-American, your, your father's from Dominican Republic. Are you confused? Like, you're confusing us. You know, but they try to put Muslims in a box, as you had mentioned, that when the, the thought of Muslim comes up, and it's like the, the history of Muslims in America is like completely forgotten or was never taught in the first place. That Muslims, as though Muslims are a new phenomena. Wait, hold on, Muslims have been here since the beginning. What are you talking about? As West African slaves primarily, yes. But Muslims have always been here and have always served in the military, have always served this country in one respect or another, have always played a part in every major conflict. So when someone questions, I know this is off the question, I, I apologize. But when someone questions our patriotism, it's like, we're, I'm more American as far as I'm concerned. Anyone that questions my patriotism, I'm more American than you are as far as I'm concerned. And I will put my, my, my ribbon rack, <laughs> I'll, put my, yeah, I'll put my ribbon rack against anyone. When it, you know, in the military we wear our ribbons and our medals. You know, so I'm like, I know what I've done for this country. What have you done? Sorry, I got a little I'm glad we had this back and forth exchange because you both are storytellers in your own right. And we have an audience of folks um, here who are storytellers as well. And they, as the industry moves to, to, to have more stories of authentic portrayals of Muslims, what is something that you would want to tell folks who may not have that Muslim experience as they, as they put forth these stories, as they think about what an American Muslim looks like? I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I would almost uh, put the court, put the ball back in their court. I would ask them, if you were making a film by you, about you and your community, how would you do that? Come on, man. It is important that you see the Muslim community as you would see your own. You want to make sure that it is representative of you, who you really are, not who people think you are. And would you allow someone else to tell that story for you? 
without even talking to you? Would you allow someone else uh, to portray you uh, in a way that is in opposition of who you are or who you know your community is? And so I think not only with the Muslim community and the veteran community and all the different disenfranchised, marginalized communities out here, we, um, uh, we filmmakers need to ensure, directors need to ensure, people who support films need to ensure that what we see is authentically placed because it does damage to a community. We all need to see ourselves and hear ourselves. Good, phenomenal answer. Yeah. There was, a, uh, there was a, a series that came out on Showtime back in 2005, 2006 called Sleeper Cell. Does anybody remember that? Okay, if you, if, if you have not seen that series, I, I would highly recommend it because I was taken aback by the fact that how authentic it was. I mean, they brought in the diversity within the American Muslim community. They had, the, the main character was an FBI agent, uh, African American, whose father was in the Nation of Islam. As you know, was a, a phenomenal, uh, uh, Malcolm X was shown in the clip here, but Malcolm X was a part of the Nation of Islam as a spokesperson at, at one point. But then it talks, it shows how he infiltrates uh, sleeper cells within America. But even within this concept of jihad, how even Muslims were debating back and forth about, well, what does this mean? And how is it to be lived? And is it within context, within respect to American foreign policy? Like all of these things were being discussed within this, within this series. And I, my hat goes off to, to the producers and directors and, and because they showed that, that diversity that exists, because we have those discussions. Those, those debates exist. Instead of presenting this, 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 this uh, type of, uh, as Muslims as being immigrants, uh, you know, uh, militant, uh, always, you know, where, where's the next American that I can kill, you know, along my bar. And so it's like, but that's it? That, that's, that's all that exists? No, definitely not. We have Muslims across, basically, the, the, the Muslims that, we, that exist here in America, that's what needs to be captured, as she said, authentically, in all aspects. Because we're struggling in, in a variety of different ways. You know, the, the military service members that you see that have served and that continue to serve, all of us are, are, have our own struggles, and we have our, our celebrations and our, and our victories. All of that needs to be captured, so that, because the, the problem today, one of the problems that we have today is even, it's amazing that as much as Islam and Muslims have been in the media, particularly since 9-11, but definitely before, believe me, since the late, particularly after 1989, with the first Gulf War, Muslims have been in the media since then, and we still have people, according to the Pew Research Survey, most Americans still have a problem with Islam and with Muslims, seeing them as, as seeing Islam as being negative, Muslims as being negative, now even questioning whether is, is Islam even a religion? Now, if we can convince the people that Islam is not even a religion, then the First Amendment doesn't even apply. So we can do as we please. We gotta be very careful. This is, this is dangerous talk. And if we can convince enough people 
of that kind of idea, that's where your power comes into play. And your influence is amazing how many people say, well, I thought Muslims believed this or did that because of what I saw in the news or the movie that I saw or the short that I watched or the stage play that I, uh, that I uh, went to. You, the, the influence that, that you all have in the, in the media is, is phenomenal. And so I would just put that responsibility back. You, you have responsibility, as I said, with, with power comes responsibility. And you have that responsibility, and so I would encourage you to do so. So speaking of that responsibility, David. <laughs> so you're a non-Muslim um, who's told Muslim stories, American Muslim stories, for over a decade. Tell us how you got involved in this area, and what draws you to tell these stories yeah, that's a, that's a question I always get asked. It's always as a truly, you know, it's, it's a, expressing deeply personal things is always difficult to do, especially in public. But, um, you know, this whole path started when I uh, produced and directed a film called An American Mosque. It was about one of the first mosques that was burned down because of a, of a hate crime in, in 1994. So this has been going on, you know, for a while, as, as, as Raphael you know, indicated. Um, that's you know, showed on public television, and, and it was it was an introduction to to, to this space, to screenings around the country, to um, to, to Muslim collaborations. Um, uh, that partly came out of you know the inspiration for that probably came out of my own story. The the synagogue that I attended as a young boy was was firebombed, and much like the Pittsburgh shooting recently, the synagogue shooting, the people in Sacramento. This is in Sacramento, California, in 1999. Of people remember that there are three there are three synagogues that are firebombed the same night. Um, the Sacramento community came out and really were supportive, much like what happened in Pittsburgh. Like there's no, we cannot stand for this. This is not this is not what's going to happen in our town. But five years prior to that, this this entire mosque had been burned down in this town just about 40 miles north of Sacramento. And when you ask people about it, they're like, "Wait, what happened? Wait, I didn't even know that happened." An entire 12,000 square foot mosque was burned down to the ground. And so for me, when I learned about this story, it had, this, it had a lot of beautiful elements. I mean, it was, it was about a Pakistani-American farmer who, who ripped up his peach orchards to build a, a, a mosque in the middle of farmland. So it had this, like, this Americana to it, this barn raising kind of a theme. And, but it also had this, this hate crime. And so, but when, when I found out how few people knew about it, there was, there was somewhere deep inside me this sense of like, okay, if someone's gonna recognize what happens to you, and empathize with you, then it's your responsibility to turn around and give that back. That is empathy at its, at its core, right? Um, and so I, that film kind of you know, took, took, took me on, 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 on a journey. Simultaneous to that, I started doing a short filmmaking with veterans. And that was partly, for me, this sense of like, you know, I read the news a lot, I, I, I feel passionately about, about staying in touch with what's going on, particularly with, with American foreign policy. And, you know, when I, when I thought about it, I was like, you know, I don't know a single person, personally, who's been serving in these wars that have gone on this long. You know, one, not one person, well, one, my, my, my sister dated one person, but, but that, was, that was outside of that. Um, and, I, and I said, you know, I had this opportunity to get involved in this project, I was like, I wanna do that because I wanna learn and I wanna help tell these stories. It, it, didn't, it didn't come from like this, you know, uh, I, I, wanna, I wanna promote militarism or anything like that. It truly came from a sense of like, I, I wanna stretch myself and get outside my little zone my little comfort zone and say, well, who, who's been serving in this country? What have they been experiencing that I don't hear about in the news? So those two things kind of converged after a while into this space of like, you know, 
I know there are, I know there are Muslims who, who have been serving since 9-11. We've been having this, this rise in hate crime and Islamophobia. What are the folks who are serving the military experiencing, feeling, thinking, as they are swearing oath to the Constitution, and yet, the, yet the, the very civilians that they're swearing to defend are just like, you know, we, 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 we don't see you as equals, we're disrespectful to you. And, and you know, and, and I know this is like, I take this seriously, this is a, a really, it's a, it's, it's a burden, really, as a filmmaker, to get it right. And so I consulted with a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, Muslim partners, Muslim friends, um, and also, also people who had worked with me on previous projects. You know, I, previous to being a, a filmmaker, I was an oral historian, and I had done probably a dozen or so really lengthy interviews with Japanese Americans who were forced into concentration camps, and including people who had served in the military. And, and I know from that community the history of what it was like to have this horrible violation done to your community, and then the government turn around and say, hey, can you serve in our military too? You know? And that, that caused a lot of, uh, of discord in the community. There's, there's a loyalty oath, which if, you, if, you, if folks know about that, so there's a real point of tension for folks in the Japanese-American community. And so I've used this word loyalty. I know um, I'm trying to use it in a way to actually almost like reclaim that, because I know it evokes a lot of emotion in people, we can talk about that. Um, but but I think all of those things, like having done work with Japanese Americans during the World War II era, uh, knowing that history, knowing the, the, also the, the, the legacy of the, the Japanese Americans who did serve in the 442nd, that is like legendary in Army history and, and in, that, in that community's history, and then coming from the work I've done with veterans and Muslims, and then my own you know, Jewish American experience. All those things kind of converge to say, um, you know, this just interests me, and I, and I see it as an opportunity to learn. I think you've done a really good job telling the stories authentically as having known some of one of the people that you've actually featured. What made you think, or why are you choosing to expand upon the story? What do you think has sort of, you know, you're, you're planning on launching a feature film with Kartemquin. What, what part of the story do you hope to expand upon and, and who do you hope to reach? Yeah, so, so this, this, so Raphael, I, we, I like him too much. Um, to stop working with him. So there's a feature film we're in production with, uh, in early production on, called Loyalty. Uh, it's about three Muslim chaplains who are in the military right now. And while I really like making these short films, because it's very satisfying, as any filmmakers in the room know, you like that film, I shoot, I edit, you know, five, or six, five days or so, and it's done, I can show it to people, ah, like, it's out there. Uh, and, and of course, you know, you know, you know uh, feature films take much longer, but at the same time, like, this kind of storytelling, it condenses people's stories into like these, just these metaphors and these just like, these brief moments. It's both beautiful, but it's also kind of abusive to the storytelling process. So for me, I found, I just, I want to have an opportunity to, to kind of like let the story breathe, have more moments, more verite moments where you're on the ground. I, I the, the Department of Defense eventually allowed me to, to, to go in and film these three characters who are now in active duty. Um, it's, it's Raphael and Tinglo Chaplin. It's, it's a chaplain, Chaplain Khalid Shabazz, who you saw in that teaser. He's, he's one of the highest ranking Muslims, really, in the military. Uh, and uh, Mustafa. The highest ranking. The highest ranking? Okay, there you go. He could, potentially could be the first Muslim general. Who knows? And, and, um, and uh, Mustafa Ravushin, who's, a, who's a, actually the chaplain at Fort Hood. And it's an opportunity to, to profile these guys, but also kind of dig into the story of religious freedom in the military. I also film. As you see, I film, Christ I film uh, contemporary Protestant services. I have a rocking scene with, 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 event, with a bunch of 800 kids at an evangelical service raising their hands and just rocking out. 
and uh, Catholic services, Jewish services, to show like, like see the diversity of, of, of religious representation in the military, um, of course, but focusing on Muslims. And, and how, how, how are they working out some of these tensions that we are dealing with in the civilian space, trying to figure out like how do we truly embrace this, this pluralistic ethos that is being challenged right now, right? How do they work that out in the military? And you see that firsthand. And, and for me, that, that feels like a really interesting space to tell a story. Who's that story for? Can you tell us a little bit oh, more about who your audience for. is? Yeah, I mean, I think the story is, you know, I come from Oakland, California. I'm a documentary filmmaker from Oakland, California. I'm like in the bubble, you know? We're, a lot of us are in the bubble. And I mean, I'm, I'm telling it, of course, for, for, for film communities, but I also see this, this, I also see this ability through telling a, a story about national service, about the military, to leverage, to leverage that to get to audiences that might not otherwise listen to a story about interfaith dialogue, or might not listen to a story about uh, pluralism or multiculturalism. Those are those aren't words that 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 necessarily say, "Oh, I want to watch that." But if if, if they're if they're getting an accurate representation of, of military experience, people are interested in that. Seventy-five percent of the nation, according to Pew, says military service members contribute a lot to the country, right? So I want to be totally clear. I'm not making this, this, this film to promote militarism. I'm not making this film as a, as like a promotional piece for the military. But I do realize that, that faith and the military are, are huge subjects for a lot of the country, and they're interested in that. And so how can you use those, those doors? How can you open those doors and then start talking about other things, uh, like, like religious uh, freedom for Muslims? And seeing a gen two-star general up there saying, like, you know, here we're gonna have uh, freedom for Muslims. They are our brothers and our sisters. And and I think I think for some people, and then seeing and then seeing people praying in, in uniform. I think for some people that's gonna be, um, you know, kind of eye-opening, including filming conversions. I mean, I filmed already filmed like five conversions on base. I mean, people people convert in the military. They they come. They learn about it for the first time. Many of them have never met a Muslim. They meet Raphael, they meet Khalid Shabazz, they, move, they meet Chaplain Mustafa, and they say, you know, this, this, like this, this is what I, they feel a call, like I'm called to this. And, and they're, they're, they have this space in, in, in the appropriate way to convert to Islam. And so, um, you know, that is their right. So I want to show that as well. Thank you. Razi, I haven't forgotten about your promise. <laughs> so we heard a little bit about what draws David to this work. Um, as an American Muslim who has not served in the military, Tell us a little bit about why you're drawn to this. You're a Detroit-based, um, you're a filmmaker, you're an artist. What is it about this particular topic, this particular trine, that draws you to it? Um, so um, there's a couple things that I'll say to that. You know, One, um, so David and I met in Northern California a couple months ago. We both won a grant for our respective films that we're working on. And you know, we, I learned about his project, and I met him. And, we started chatting and we kind of started becoming friends and he asked me to join the, join the project. But I remember when I had first seen the film, I thought to myself, oh, this is like the type of film that I would have wanted to have made. You know, so that's one thing that drew me to the project. The other thing is this sort of personal complexity that I feel that I think a lot of American Muslims share with me um, towards the military, uh, which is in a way also rooted in ignorance. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know a lot of people that are in the military. Um, and for those of you that, um, might not know what I'm referring to. It's uh, this complexity around um, how uh, we're perceived in the United States as, as Muslims, um, our loyalty um, to the country, um, and at the same time, um, you know, what do Muslims contribute to the United States in general, or generally speaking. 
Um, and then on the other side of it, there's this, there's, this, um, there's this tension that I'm really drawn to as well, which is the military. You know, he mentioned the, the Pew study, which um, uh, shows that Americans, 75% of Americans, have high, high regard for the military. And so to me, um, it's this idea that it's the most sacred or one of the most sacred institutions in the United States and then juxtaposed with the community that's considered to be one of the most toxic you know, or one of the more marginalized communities in the United States in the same space. So as an artist, but then also personally as an American Muslim, to me, um, I'm provoked by that you know, and I'm really drawn to that. Um, and then also having met David and knowing, uh, you know, early on that he was pretty sincere based on the mutual connections that we had and him asking me, you know, like, I, I can't do this project alone, you know, I want your help. And this is something that I would advise to really anyone that's working on a story not just about Muslims, but any community that you don't understand, um, is to ask questions, you know, with sincerity and, and be curious about it, you know, and he expressed that and so ultimately that's, you know, why I agreed to do it. Um, you know, but uh, there's a lot of tools out there, there's a lot of resources out there for anyone that's interested in making films about communities that they're not a part of. Um, start with Google, you know. There's, there's a lot of, there's people out there, you know, there's people out there, you know, like I've, you know, I've worked on projects now, um, uh, you know, with, you know, different, you know, journalists and writers and storytellers um, who've reached out to learn about our community, um, to get a sense of nuance and texture um, to help better tell that story. Um, one such project I'll tell you guys about was a National Geographic um, a story that came out. Uh, that was a collaboration between myself, Lindsay Adario, and Leila Fadel that came out in April of last year. And so I was brought on as a producer and a consultant and I could answer some of those questions. Um, and, and, and I think in the end what you have is a piece that's much more rich and much more nuanced um, after a lot of those conversations that took place. And some of them were uncomfortable. Um, and some of them, I had to push back on things. Um, but again, I think at the end, you come up with something that's a lot more nuanced and textured. So they're telling me we have to wrap up. So I wanna, okay. So Razi, I wanna, I guess we'll take time for one more question about, um, you know, as an American Muslim, you've also seen that a lot of Muslims, even here at Sundance, are telling their own stories. What What's happening in that space? I mean, you're an engineer by trade before this. What made you decide to, leave that job and leave that world and really get up and behind the camera and also in front of the camera and as an artist to really tell your own story? Um, you know, it's a really personal journey. Yeah, I, I studied engineering, you know, I come from an immigrant, you know, background. I uh, come, also come from a very working class background, so I needed to support myself, support my family, and, you know, I've always, you know, I'll just describe myself as always having had a liberal arts, you know, uh, mindset, and, and that's kind of the, the bent that I've always had, and, and a lot of the things that I'm doing now are the types of things that sort of tortured me, um, or that I would fantasize about sitting in my cubicle, you know, doing work that was so deeply, just profoundly and undescribably unsatisfying. <laughs> so, um, and, and I and I and I went through. I went. Unfortunately, you know, I experienced a personal loss. I went through a breakup, and. Um, and I, I use that as, as, as an impulse to, um, you know, just quit my job and, and hit the reset button on my life and just kind of start over. And I fully threw myself in, um, starting with my photography work, and I landed this um, fellowship called Documenting Detroit. Um, Kathy, who's in the audience, is one of the mentors um, in the fellowship. And that really gave me a lot of confidence to become a storyteller. So I started with a project on the Muslim communities, um, the historic Muslim communities of Hamtramck, Detroit, and Highland Park. 
Um, and it kind of went from there. And, and, and now I'm working on a documentary film about a small town in Michigan called Hamtramck, which also happens to be America's first town that has a Muslim-majority population and a Muslim-majority city council. So we're examining the complexities and the tensions around multiculturalism, like we would be in many cities around the country, but through the lens of Hamtramck's 2017 elections that took place there a couple years ago. Um, so you know, you take the Muslim community, you replace it with any community, and it could be a town in California, it could be a town in Texas. Um, the tensions are the same, and those tensions are real, um, but there's also a lot of achievements that towns like Hamtramck are experiencing as well, so there's a lot to learn there. So these are the types of stories that I've been drawn to, and you know, unfortunately it took you know, a personal loss to get there, but the silver lining was that you know, I'm here today. And, and you know, coming to Sundance this year in particular, you know, there have been three or four panels that have featured you know, Muslim artists, filmmakers, writers, um, and we're here right now you know, talking about our story. So I feel very represented and I feel that there's opportunities there. And for those of you who are storytellers, you know, come to us, you know, ask us you know, about your projects, ask us to consult with you um, and to help you on your projects as well. I know we're wrapping up and we're going to have questions, but I do want to ask something that David had alluded to earlier about the word loyalty, and it evokes very strong emotions. And so I wanted to know if anyone on the panel kind of wanted to respond to that. What what does loyalty mean to you? I would say you know loyalty uh, reminds me of commitment. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Because I think when you when you when you look at the idea of it, especially in this context, because we're often questioned about it as Muslims, as American Muslims, we're often questioned, where do your loyalties lie? All right, this just happened, this incident happened, are you, right, exactly. You know, uh, you're a suspect, uh, you're, you're guilty by association, and things of this nature. So we deal with this consistently every time something pops off, where other communities don't necessarily have to deal with this, at least not to the same degree. So when I think about the word loyalty, I think about the words of commitment. What am I committed to? Uh, I am committed to my faith. Yes, I am, no doubt. I have no problem vocalizing that. But I am also committed to the ideals of this country, which I see to be in consonance with my, my faith, not as a contradiction. So I navigate those waters, and I would like to think I navigate them well. So I, I'm loyal on many fronts, loyal to my family, loyal. So this idea, unfortunately, that you cannot be Muslim and be American. This is continuously being perpetuated. And this is what we need to bring an end to that. So, I hope that answers the question. Would you, would you like to? Um, okay, we'd, we'd love to open it up for questions from the audience. Hi, hello. My name is Zach Fimro. I'm a Turkish. I recently immigrated to the United States. I'm a gay Muslim. Uh, thank you for doing this. And I know also, I mean, it seems like being Muslim in the military is a bit difficult. Uh, I know that being gay, LGBT in the military is also very, very difficult. Uh, the president just banned trans people from going into the military. Uh, but just, I just wanted to ask if you're considering representing a gay Muslim person in the military in this series, or? Uh, you know, honestly, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that at this point. Uh, we have our 10 characters. Um, they're, they're, you know, it's the thing, like, 
don't tell us the Muslim stories. You're like, then you're going to do it. You know, there's like, it is, it is from every group, and it's, it's, it's like a, it's a challenge just to find people that are going to represent the, the beautiful rainbow that is the, the Muslim experience. I hadn't thought about that, and, and um, but that sounds, um, I mean, something I would, I would take to note. I mean, I think in response to you, I think what, what, what you're bringing up is important because the, the military space is this place where like civil rights issues become crystallized. You know, and now we know from this, the trans ban, like they're, they're playing around with that and they're trying to use it as, as a wedge again. But, but it's, it's important that we don't let, we don't let you know, the civilian uh, noise distract us from the fact that every person, regardless of who they are or any of their background, should have the freedom to be who they are in the military to their right. And so, you know, so I, I take that spirit I'm taking that same spirit and trying to apply that to the characters that, that, that I'm showing in this film in, in, in showing that, that where, where do, where do our, our true values lie and how is that articulated in the military. But no, thank you for bringing that up. Thank you all so much for doing this today. It was lovely to watch the project and the shorts and good luck with the film. Um, Rafael, I have a question for you. Um, so. Uh, my family's Muslim, I was born in LA, they're from Iran originally, and uh, I love to drive to the South solo and engage with the people that I believe are really the, the, the heartbeat of this nation, right? Like the, the core, you know, Arkansas, Texas, Georgia, the people who we really in the media don't see a lot of, there's a lot of judgment about them. And whenever I engage with someone who maybe has never met a Middle Eastern person or a Muslim or things of that, of, uh, that nature, um, there's always a big surprise on their part. They're always like, whoa, you're not like the people I see in the movies, and, you know? And I wanted to ask you, um, do you have any advice for young people, um, for young Muslims, who want to engage and want to have dialogues with people who really aren't used to seeing them or speaking with them? What are some things they can do to ensure that, um, you know, that conversation happens? I would advise, first of all, to, to be patient. That there has to be patience when it comes to engaging uh, people who are in a state of ignorance. They just don't know. The, the only knowledge they have is what has been portrayed. And so that's what they're coming to the table with. So you gotta give them space to, to develop their knowledge and their, and their understanding, build that bridge. And also you have to have courage um, and, and be prepared for statements and perhaps even actions to be uh, um, to come at you. You got You have to have courage to take that, to have that defensive shield up sometimes and say, look, okay, I got you. I understand that what you're saying and what you're doing does not necessarily represent how you authentically feel, right? It's just, a, it's just you're just uh, projecting your ignorance. And that's it, but if you give me the time and opportunity to sit down, break bread, have tea, whatever, you know, uh, Oftentimes it's in those conversations where it's like, hey, travel with me, walk with me and understand my experience. And this allows for an opportunity for those uh, walls to come down and for bridges to be built. You see, uh, I think also what's important is to remind young Muslims or Muslims period, don't be afraid of being authentically who you are. Really, don't, don't, be, don't be afraid of doing that. Um, because if you hide yourself, which is something that we've experienced in the military as well, where we have Muslims who won't identify that they're Muslims. They'll inform me because I have confidentiality, whatever they say to me, I have to keep it in confidence. So uh, 
But the thing is, is that when you hide yourself, you're not giving an opportunity for learning for other people, and that's unfortunate. I understand the fears are there, got you. Uh, but there are more allies out there than there are enemies, as far as I'm concerned. At least that's been my experience over the past 24 years in the military. Uh, thank you guys, and good luck with the film. Appreciate the clips. Um, as a son of Iranian immigrants, I, I also appreciate what you're doing for the image of Muslims in America, and um, especially in the military. But I noticed that we didn't talk about Muslims outside of America. Um, and I wonder how you square away your work and your lives as people of faith, and particularly people of Muslim faith, with the actions of the American military in Muslim countries. Um, as someone who's traveled in, throughout the Middle East and worked throughout the Middle East, I've seen what happens to women, children, families in Afghanistan and Yemen, not terrorists, but, but normal people, Muslim people, how do you how do you hold both of these things at once? Would you like to move yeah. so, Well, first, you know, when I'm whenever I'm asked that kind of question, my I return the question back. What are your thoughts or what ideas do you have that the military is involved in? Because and, and I, the reason why I ask that because most people, most civilians, particularly who have no military experience. They consider, or they, when they think about the military, they think about bombs and bullets. And that's it. In all my deployments, we've been engaged in neighborhood building, building of schools, infrastructure, uh, escorting girls who have never been educated, been, been to school before, for whatever those reasons may be, right or wrong, but they've never been to school before, and we're escorting them to get an education. We're protecting mosques, hospitals, and things of that nature. I'm not saying that war is, is clean, nice, neat, surgical. It's not necessarily like, it, it can be nasty, it can be raw, ugly. There are different aspects of it, but it, it's disheartening for me, and I think it's, it's unfair for anyone to characterize the United States military in particular from one angle, and that's it. Because, I mean, we can, Look at what happened in 89 and 90 when Saddam Hussein and his forces went into Kuwait. And the service that the United States military served in, in respect to Saudi Arabia and the, the government and the people of Kuwait, uh, uh, or, or in Bosnia, uh, when it came to the Albanian Muslims. And so on, like, so there, there are just a list of things that can be presented where the American military has been a, has been a presence and has helped the cause of Muslims against individuals who have been harmful to the, the greater whole of the community within that respective country, right? Go ahead. Are you asking me or are you done? It was more rhetorical. Because I worked as a journalist and I truly understand. I have no, my, my, my understanding of the military is not one way. And it's, it's, it's more nuanced, I would think, is through my work and understanding of people are in the military and who have lived in countries where the American military operates. My question was not about yeah. any of the great things that we that are documented that we did, but documented suffering and atrocities to Muslim people. Yes. Well, I would just say, like, I really appreciate the question because that suffering is like extremely hurtful to me. Uh, it's not something I want to gloss over. It's not something I, I want to disregard. Um, I think. I think for this specific project, it's not something that, that, that I am 
uh, addressing. I think, I think it needs to be addressed, and there are a lot of great projects and journalists who are addressing it, and I, and I completely applaud them. I think that work needs to be done, we need to pay attention to it. I think at the same time, uh, in, in, a, in a roundabout way, the more that we understand and are in connection with the people who are serving in the military, the more we have a sense of like, okay, how can, how can I be, be fully informed for, for all Americans to be engaged in a process to ensure that things like that don't happen? I, I, like I said, I do not want to be promoting militarism in this project. I don't want to disregard the, the, the loss of civilian life that has happened at, at, the, at the hands of these recent conflicts. Not, not at all, that's not the point. Um, but the point is, in some ways, there are other projects doing that. And I want to use this as another project to, to bring people in who, who if, if, I, if, if you take that line through storytelling, in many ways you can lose an audience that, that I, I want to have them become in deeper, deeper engaged in this conversation so we can prevent those things from happening in the future. Like the, the least, when, when, we're, when the greater there is a military-civilian divide in this country, the more we're just handing that off to other people, just being like, okay, do your thing. Oh, I don't want to question, thank you for your service. I don't want to get involved in that. But it's our responsibility to, to be deeply engaged in, and engage with our elected representatives who can then be saying, this is not, this is not the policy that we want to be pursuing. So I mean, it's, it's, I really applaud you for bringing that up. It's a very complicated thing. I, 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 I battle with it myself in, in, in doing this story. Yes. I, I don't mean to hand it off, yeah. yeah. Question is for Dr. Elmi Aisha. Um, I want to talk to you or, or get your thoughts on the intersection of, of being a Black American woman, but also a Muslim woman, when there are, you know, obviously conflicting um, expectations and experiences in both of those identities. We know there's anti-Blackness. You know, in some Muslim communities, we know that there is, you know, Islamophobia in the Black community. And so, what is that like? You know, as you said, you grew up on the South Side of Chicago with a lot of Black folks. Um, I, I know your history because you know we know one another, but but can you talk about your experience and, and what that's been like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, funny thing is, um, as an African American woman um, with with family and friends that are Christian, they they don't see me um, in the same light as they see the Muslim they're talking about on TV, right? So they disassociate my identity. And we have to try to reconnect those. So it's a constant struggle. And when I go into uh, places of worship or a masjid outside of the, the black community, I can be not seen as Muslim enough, right? And so, so there's some, some, some really complicated spaces that try to tell me that my identities don't coincide, right? They don't align, they are not authentic. Um, and so it is a con I'm in constant motion of just trying to m make sure that those uh, those multiple intersecting identities one is not diminished for the other one, right? Um, and do I always get it right now, right? Um, but I continuously uh, tell my Muslim brothers and sisters that don't look like me, hey, yeah, actually wearing polish is okay in my community. I'm sorry if you don't get it right, or. Having my neck uncovered, yeah, it may be bad for you and how you uh, understand this thing, but not me. Or for my black uh, brothers and sisters, hey, yeah, 
they're not terrorists just because they don't look like me, right? Like we have the same faith. And so it is a constant educational space um, and, and really believing that the educative uh, space is the, the most important one where you're sharing your story um, because I believe when we share our individual stories, all right, we thank you all for joining us for another edition of Radio Slam. We thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.